And earlier what you were saying about how at Stanford there's a lot of CS majors. Are there a lot of people that are not doing CS? Because I feel like there's a misconception that a lot of people, pretty much everyone there is building a company on or a startup or <laughs> or doing some crazy internship at Facebook or Google. Is that So it can definitely feel like that sometimes. Like in my freshman dorm, the whole like bottom floor was all STEM majors, except for like one guy. And I feel like because it's such a well-known STEM school, there's this perception that everyone is trying to get into these STEM or CS fields. What's up guys, Richard here. I'm with my co-host Patrick, and today we brought on our good friend, Amy Miyahara. Amy is currently a second year student at Stanford. And her major is undeclared, which happens to be the theme of today's episode, figuring out what you're passionate about in college and your career. If you struggle with this, definitely keep on listening. One big thing that Rich and I are both curious about is how you're navigating your college life. And I feel like one big misconception a lot of people have about college is that you need to have everything figured out starting from day one or even starting from day 100. And... When you introduce people, they always like to say their name and then their major, like it's part of their identity. But right now, you're still undecided. And I was wondering how you're going about navigating your different interests in college. Do you just check out all the clubs that might seem interesting, even if they're wildly different from each other? How does it influence how you're picking your classes? So I guess I do feel a little bit of pressure to know what I want to do. I feel like even in high school, I kind of felt like there was this pressure that everyone had everything figured out and that I was like the only one who didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted my life to look like. But I think I've just been trying to be better about telling myself that, you know, we're still really young and you don't have to have your whole life figured out. And in terms of in college, I think the pressure was still there because it seemed like everyone was like a CS major and had this internship planned out to get this job. But I've just been trying to take classes and things that I'm interested in. And I have explored a few different clubs. I didn't get involved in a lot of them, but I'm still on the mailing list so I can like see events that they're having. But I've just been trying to kind of explore and see what classes I like, what classes maybe I don't like as much. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how I've been going about it. Yeah, those mailing lists. I think the very first (laughs) week of college, I signed up for Literature Club. And every week, I got got an email reminding me what book to read. And every week, I just ignored the email and I never made it to any meetings. (laughs) So yeah, those email lists are really powerful too. Yeah, for sure. And and earlier what you were saying about how at Stanford there's a lot of CS majors. I mean, it makes sense. It's a really good school for computer science. And a lot of people are there for the computer science classes or the entrepreneurship kind of community there. Are there a lot of people that are not doing CS? Because I feel like there's a misconception that a lot of people, pretty much everyone there is building a company on or a startup or, <laughs> or doing some crazy internship at Facebook or Google. Is that... So it can definitely feel like that sometimes. Like in my freshman dorm, the whole like bottom floor was all STEM majors, except for like one guy. 
And I feel like because it's such a well-known STEM school, there's this perception that everyone is trying to get into these STEM or CS fields. So I definitely see why that stereotype exists, and I have met a lot of STEM majors, but there are also a lot of people who are still exploring or who are doing humanities um, majors, and I think one of the best parts about going to Stanford is that there's a lot of good programs in a lot of different areas, so you can kind of, kind of, I guess, wherever you end up, you'll still get a good education. Were there any classes you've taken that have really stood out to you, that you really enjoyed? Yeah. This quarter, I'm taking a social psychology class, which has been really cool. And then I took Psych 1 freshman year, and that was also really cool. So I think I've really enjoyed psychology, and I think that's definitely a major I'm considering. But this quarter, I'm also taking a fiction writing class, which kind of was just for fun. I don't think... Stanford even has a creative writing major, but I've really enjoyed that. And I think I've always enjoyed writing and, but I've never really seriously had to write a lot of fiction. And so it's just been interesting to take that kind of route with my writing. It seems like the classes you're taking are, are pretty creative classes, like psychology. It makes you think a lot. I mean, you have to literally studying like human interaction and the human brain and stuff like that and and writing and fictional writing and is writing something you're really passionate about and do you think you're gonna eventually use it in your future career i've always really just enjoyed writing and it's always come more naturally to me than other subjects like i've never been very good at math or science i'm actually really bad at science but writing was always something that i kind of enjoyed and liked doing And I think it's a really important skill to have, even in other fields. Like, I feel like even STEM fields, you'll use writing to some extent. So in terms of, like, being a professional writer, I'm not sure what that would look like necessarily or if that's the career path I want. But I definitely think that being able to write will be important in whatever career I do end up doing. That is definitely true. In STEM, especially in science, if you read some of these research papers, <laughs> the prose is <laughs> atrocious. It's embarrassing. And the whole point of writing and language in general is to communicate ideas. Mm-hmm. And Richard, I think Richard has a big secret, which is that he loves writing too. He loves writing. Oh, really? More than that. most people I know, actually. Yeah. I haven't taken any like fictional writing courses or or anything rigorous, but I do occasionally write mostly about my experiences, whether it was going from a university in the West Coast to the East Coast or talking about my study abroad adventures. I I enjoy writing. It's a really fun, creative process that flexes your creative muscles. So yeah, and I really love diction, like finding the right vocabulary to express your perspective on the world. Because I feel like everyone can tell a story but not everyone expresses it in the way that really resonates with people. And it's also interesting how different people write. Because Amy, since we've started this podcast, we've had to write descriptions trying to persuade people to click on the, the episode. And Richard and I have really different writing styles. I think when I 
see a passage and when I write a passage, I look at the passage holistically as a whole and how it makes me feel. Whereas Richard, he'll say something like, the word three words in front of the period is not ideal and we should fix that <laughs> word or this comma is misplaced. And so I think Richard is much more of a technical writer compared to me. Well, in terms of the captions, I think you guys are doing a great job. I've clicked on all your podcasts. Yeah, but I think Patrick's just, he looks at the big picture first and then narrows it down. And then I get caught up in the details and then I slowly edit and iterate until big picture becomes clear. So I think it's kind of like a top down versus bottom up approach. What would you describe your writing style as, Amy? I would say I just kind of try to write whatever comes to mind, even if it's bad, which I think one of your other guests gave similar advice. Yeah, Steph, our last yeah. guest. <laughs> but writing down just anything that comes to mind, even if it's bad, because it's better to have something than nothing. And then just going back and editing and seeing what could flow better or sound better. I think that's kind of my process. I think expressing yourself is a lot of fun. And even if you don't know what career you're going to go into, I feel like if you have those side projects or those hobbies on the side where you have some sort of creative outlet, it'll inevitably find itself in your life in the future, whether it's your career or not. Like I'm sure, Amy, you're going to probably still be writing maybe on the side or maybe even creating your own blog or something in the future to keep those writing skills going, right? I think probably to some capacity. Like... I used to keep a journal. I haven't been keeping it super well lately, but I think through a lot of high school and early college, I like kept a journal and it's just been fun to like read back and see how I was feeling in the moment. So I think no matter what, I'll still try to write to some extent. Yeah. I've always wondered what people's motivation is for, for journaling. Like, is it to look back on it in the future and see what you're thinking at this point in time? Or is it a way to practice your writing skills? What's the motivation? I think for me, part of it was just that I wanted to record things to see, yeah, more to reflect, to see how I felt, you know, like a year or two years ago. Part of it is just in the moment, it kind of feels good to vent, even if I'm not like venting to someone. If I have any strong emotions, it feels good to get those out. And sometimes it's more helpful than I think like talking to someone just because I feel like I'm a better writer than I am talker. Like sometimes when I talk, things don't come out the same as they are in my head. But I feel like writing has always been really helpful in getting down those emotions. I do it for pretty similar reasons to Amy. I do it mostly to reflect on things. And not for me, it's not so much an attempt to improve my writing as it is just to see how I felt about certain things or try to understand why things turned out the way they did in certain circumstances. It sounds like you, okay, there's two kind of main reasons to do it then. One is to express your feelings in the day, to reflect on it and to do that in the moment. And another is to come back to it in the future for nostalgic reasons. I'm guessing the former is a little more relevant in your case, Patrick. Yeah, actually, I haven't even thought about going back and reading old journal entries. Oh, I have a question. Is there something about writing in a physical journal with pen and paper versus writing on like a Google Doc, which is obviously a lot more 
scalable and digital and easier to to look back on and organize like with a journal i feel like for one if you write something wrong you have to cross out that word whereas you can write on a google doc and you can type up your feelings much faster and look back on it with ease on any device is there a reason why writing a journal physically is more appealing than something like that i feel like for me having a physical journal when i look back it's a little more nostalgic just to see kind of how my handwriting was or what journal I used it just feels a little more personal but I definitely feel the easier to organize thing about Google Docs and I feel like also my handwriting sometimes I can't really keep up with my thoughts whereas I feel like I type a lot faster so sometimes it's still helpful to like reflect on a Google Doc and write something down just because I feel like I can keep up with my thoughts better since I can type a little bit faster. Yeah, I cheat because I write with an Apple pencil on my iPad. Or that's how I've been doing it since I've gotten an iPad, which is about a year ago. And so everything is pretty organized. I can click on the files, which are named by the date. And part of the reason I enjoy writing with a pen or a fake pen is exactly what you said, which is that I'm forced to write slower and think slower, which I think helps the idea come out in a more natural way versus typing. It feels more formulaic and more regimented. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think even writing on an iPad, you can cross things out. You can zoom in, zoom out. You can you can skip lines. I feel like on the Google Doc, pressing the enter just feels so... I feel like a robot. <laughs> I don't really feel like someone who's <laughs> you feel like an accountant. Yeah. I feel like I'm tracking profits and revenues when I'm writing on a computer. Mm. But you guys write essays on the on like Google Docs or I do, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that the reason I asked that is because yeah, I used to journal back in the day too. And then it just got too tedious for me, and I was bad at expressing my thoughts out loud, and typing was just a much easier medium for me to iterate. I am a very big iterator in that I never get things right the first time, so I will go back and edit a sentence 10 times um, just to make it sound right. And so I don't think I can do that with a journal. I think I'm different from most other writers in that I have a lot of faith in my first drafts, and I have very little faith in my 10th or 11th drafts. I'm always scared that if I rewrite something too many times that I'm, I'll lose my voice and that it won't sound like me anymore. So actually, I think I write slower on the first or second draft, but usually I don't get past the second draft or the third draft. If, if I write something and I look back on it and it's bad, I'll just delete the whole thing and I'll write another first draft. But I'm personally terrified of lots of rewriting. Yeah, losing your voice is a little bit foreign to me because I, to me, when you refine your words and you edit, to me that is making your voice clearer because your first draft is kind of like you blurting out everything. But that really depends on how you write because if you're very slow and steady with it, then of course, then you won't need to edit it as much and it'll probably be the most natural like representation of what you are. But for me, I don't think a lot when I do my first draft. I'll just, I'll vomit out words and then I will cut excessively. And then I will vomit out more words and then cut. So it's like a lumberjack. 
Yeah. Amy, is that yeah. more towards how you do it as well? Yeah, I think I'm more similar to Richard on this one. I'll just write something and it'll be very raw, but not very eloquent. And then I don't find, I guess, that I necessarily lose my voice, but it just helps to go back and then edit um, just to make things more clear or flow better. I do want to circle back to college life and trying to figure out what you want to do in college life because I think we touched on it very briefly in the beginning and then we talked about writing. And Richard, I've talked to I've talked to you about this a lot about how you figured out you like CS. And I think for a lot of people going to college, they might be a little bit confused as to what they want to do with their life, but from what I gather, did you just take a CS class or two and decide that you liked it enough to pursue it? I think that's half of the story. Yeah, like I took a class. I, I realized that it was pretty fun and I wasn't bad at it. And then there are some other factors that layered on top of that that came secondary uh, to actually liking coding. Like for another thing, like coding and software engineering is a very lucrative career path. Like... If you think about it, you're sitting at a desk 40 hours a week, typing in lines of code into a computer, and you're generating upwards of 100K in your entry-level job. So that's a really nice you know, factor that I had going for me. And the last thing I think that kind of pushed me over the edge was that I felt pretty confident knowing that my parents used to be software engineers as well. And so they had roots in the tech world, and I knew that if they could make it, then I could make it as well. Also, money consideration was a factor in yeah. choosing your career, which is which is really I think we should all do that at least a little bit, right? That's yeah. why if you're gonna be a rock star, you should also become a barista <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, but I think my philosophy was that even if I didn't like computer science as much as I like, I I knew that it may not be my foremost passion in life, but my philosophy was that even if you don't aren't super passionate about your job, as long as you like part of it, then it's fine. Because you can still do whatever you're passionate about on the side. So if I'm passionate about music, that doesn't mean I'm gonna go do a career in it. Like, yeah, you can get a minor in it, you can still participate in an orchestra, but I feel like mm, to be practical, you gotta just do it on the side if that's not gonna be the most money generating thing. It's a very, very capitalistic way to think about it. Interesting. How about you guys? How have you guys evaluated your career options? I'm okay. One, this doesn't answer your question at all. But one thing I really picked up on what you said just now is how it's nice to have something steady and then you do a passion on the side. Because I think there is a danger in making your passion your career because that means that you don't get to take breaks anymore. For example, this quarter I'm taking a reading class where we have to read books. And usually I love reading books. I always read right before I go to bed. But now, right before I go to bed, I look at the books that I'm assigned to read. And now it's work instead of a pastime. And so that passion has become a responsibility, something that I have to do. And that makes it less enjoyable. And so maybe keeping your work and your passion separate isn't such a bad thing. Right, okay, but answering your question, how did I figure out what I wanted to do? I think 
a lot of it has been process of elimination. I took a coding class my winter quarter and I hated it. <laughs> it was dreadful. <laughs> Terrible. <I feel> that. <laughs> it was the, one of the worst things I've ever experienced. <laughs> okay, we got it. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't understand how anybody can code for any period of time without going crazy. I think a lot of people who hate coding think it's devoid of creativity, but it's actually quite a creative process because you have to be very, very creative when you're coming up with algorithms. No, I think you definitely have to be creative. Maybe I'm just not a big problem solver, or maybe I'm not a big kind of guy who likes staring at screens and typing away at stuff. So I definitely won't code. And when I think about the classes I did click with, for example... I do like science, biology. I really like physics, which is weird. But I don't like physics when it gets hard. <laughs> when they start pulling out the squiggly integral, it's game over for me. Oh my gosh. And so I think so far I've just been exploring classes that I like and paying close attention to classes I can't tolerate. I mean, Amy, how have you been exploring classes? I know we already talked about creative writing. But how have you been figuring out what you like and what you don't like? So I also took a coding class last year. <laughs> I also was not a huge fan. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard. But I I don't know. I've just kind of been taking classes that seem like something that I might be interested in. I think going back to picking a career path, I might be a little bit too idealistic I definitely realized that at some point I'm going to have to get a job that will financially provide for me. And that's just the real realism of real life, you know, and being an adult. But at this point in time, in my mindset, my qualifications for picking a job is that I just want to maximize the good that I can put into the world, which is very general. And I think I'm constantly reevaluating what that means and what that could look like and reevaluating what's meaningful to me. And I know that that is also comes a little bit from the privilege of growing up in a situation where I haven't really had to think about money that much. And I know that everyone's circumstances are different, but I think for me, I just want to be in a career where I feel like I'm maximizing my positive output on the world. That didn't really answer your question about classes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think that's an interesting philosophy to take when considering career options. Is there a specific role that would kind of align with, you know, maximizing the output of good you do into the world? Well, for a lot of high school, I thought I was going to go into journalism because I just feel like that's a very important thing, educating people and educating the public and making sure that the public has the knowledge that they need to um, navigate the world and make decisions. I think as I'm thinking about what that would look like forever, I'm realizing that that might not be the best fit for my personality type. Um, and there's all sorts of types of journalism, so that's definitely not something I've ruled out. But another career I've kind of been thinking about is maybe once I figure out what major that I enjoy, um, becoming some sort of professor. 
just because I think it kind of aligns with the same goal. I think educating people is a really important thing to do, for lack of better words. I think education is really important and can change a lot of people's lives and how they look at the world. Would you want to be a professor or... I know a lot of people want to be a high school or middle school, elementary school teacher. Ooh. I mean, I wouldn't say that's definitely not an option. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do good in a high school setting, especially when kids, or even like middle school or elementary school, when kids are still finding, trying to figure out who they are and trying to figure out who they want to be for the rest of their lives, I think there's a lot of opportunity to set them on a path for success. And I feel like that would be a very fulfilling thing. Um, Because I know a lot of the teachers that I've had in middle school and elementary school and high school have really changed the way that I experience and look at the world. And I'm really grateful for that. But I don't know. I've just really enjoyed being in the college environment. I feel like the environment is very different and there's a lot more excitement about learning. Yeah, no, high school teachers and teachers in general, I there are definitely teachers who have influenced me in such major ways. I think, Amy, the best way to figure out whether you want to become a teacher is to become a TA. Because I'm sure oh, at Stanford, yeah. there are a lot of opportunities for that. I have thought about that in some of the classes I'm taking. I'm also section leading a class this year, which or this quarter, which has been interesting. I've really enjoyed it so far. What's section leading? It's like for a class, there will be like section. In some cases, it's like a review period where you have to sign up for a section in which you um, meet with this TA and then you review. But for the class I'm section leading, it's not really a class. It's kind of just for freshmen to learn about navigating college life. And so I'm just leading a group of freshmen and we do different activities, um, which has been fun. That's not fun. Richard, did you enjoy your time TAing? Yeah, I think TAing was a very rewarding experience and I definitely recommend it to anyone who, well, just in general, not, not even if you want to become a teacher or professor in the future, but it's a very rewarding experience. It's a lot of fun when people have that light up moment in their eyes where they're trying to figure out a concept and you explain it to them through examples and then all of a sudden they get it or they come up with that algorithm because I taught a data structures course. So it's a lot of fun. And also you build up a lot of friends, surprisingly. People like enjoy hanging out with the TA for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> they're trying to get a better grade, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, another question I wanted to ask Amy. In addition to writing, like journalism, you also play the oboe and you play basketball. Those are other interests on the side. How, how have those like impacted your career options, if there's any career like linked to them? <laughs> so basketball definitely will not. <laughs> that, that, was, that was just like a high school... I, anyway, oh, oh yeah. in terms of Okay, so not basketball, music. but what about oboe? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking of potentially music majoring. I think at some of the schools that I applied to, I applied as a music major. Not at Stanford, but at some of other, the other schools. And I think I am going to music minor, just because 
I've had some quarters where I've had empty spaces and I was just like, oh, what looks interesting? And then I would take a music class and the music binder is not that intensive. So I was like, oh, might as well just finish it. I'm like already halfway there um, just from random classes I've taken. In terms of a career, I honestly don't think I'm good enough or have ever thought that I was good enough to make it into a career, but I could definitely see it working itself into other aspects of life, like maybe, or other aspects of a career. Like I did a little bit of music writing for Stanford's paper, and so maybe some sort of intersection of music and writing. Oh, like a music critic or what was the piece? What, what kind of intersectionality would you be interested in? I think for a little bit, I had interest in being a music critic. Right now, I'm thinking it's probably pretty unrealistic just because there's not a lot of job prospects in that area that pay well. So that would be a really hard, I think, thing to make it in. But in terms of like, if I were living in an ideal world, I feel like that would be a really fun job to have. Yeah, and you got a taste of that because you're a music writer at the Stanford Daily and you you enjoy that, like writing about music, talking about the intricacies of the compositions that go behind it and, and the lyrical metaphors and stuff like that. Like, you enjoy that. I do. I think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's special because if you gave me a piece of music and you asked me what made it good, I'd have no idea. <laughs> I just say it sounds good. Oh my gosh. And it's by Taylor Swift. <laughs> so I'm most Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> well, I haven't done it or written in a while, but I did do some album reviews. Or I did one for Stanford and then I did some in high school. And I think kind of yeah, what you said, I would listen and see what hit me emotionally and then go back and try to figure out, okay, what about this piece of music? Um, made it unique or special. I I read your piece on, yeah, I think the one you're referring to is the Rex Orange County album. I did. And you go into really, really intricate detail because you basically give a rundown of the entire album and each song. With critical reading or, or critical writing, I don't know what you call it, but when you're basically analyzing an artist's work, you're taking out symbolism and you're you're looking at like they play on words and there's a lot of really really intricate detail that goes on into music behind the scenes where if you were listening to a taylor swift song out in the open on the radio you would think it's really catchy and even if you're not listening to the lyrics really closely like you can enjoy the music but at a deeper level if you look and and dissect the lyrics then you can find a lot more meaning in between each word and i've always wondered too how much of a how much of what we interpret was intentional from the author because a lot of people who complain about literature classes just say oh this is all a bunch of nonsense i bet the author didn't mean any of this Mm -hmm. we're just making a bunch of stuff out of nothing when we're talking about symbols but maybe our understanding of metaphors helps complete the stories so Maybe the author and the reader write the story together. Whoa. I would agree with that, yeah. Looking at literature, even if a writer didn't intend for something to symbolize a certain thing or come off a certain way, I think it's a really valuable 
learning experience to kind of analyze how we as readers interpret it because I think that says a lot about how the piece of art or writing impacts society and changes the way that readers think about the world. So I would agree with your idea, Patrick, of like the reader and the writer, maybe having different interpretations, but both being valid. Yeah, it's a really beautiful quote. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for tuning into the It's Over podcast. We had a really fun time talking with Amy about navigating careers and interests and definitely tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and whatever platform you listen on. Definitely leave us a rating on iTunes. We're trying to grow our podcast. And uh, if you want to look at our future episodes, you can find us on itsoverpod.com or on social media like Instagram and Facebook at itsoverpod. But yeah, anyways, we have a tradition where we say it's over at the end of every episode. So yeah, if you want to count us off, Patrick. Yeah, sure. Three, two, one. It's It's over. over.